fact that it's they haven't called up anybody from Binghamton at this point for on the defensive side of those youngins makes me think that they're taking a very particular patient approach. But of them all, Ball was the one that seemed to need the most time down there. Oh yeah, like I remember for for that all about the jersey panel for Binghamton, I watched uh, Okachuk, Walsh, and Ball. Mm-hmm. And consistently, Ball was the one that I rated the lowest. Not because I didn't, like, I, I do like him. But just in yeah. terms of how quickly he's acclimated, you, I, I would think for sure he would be the third on that list. Just because, mm-hmm. like, if you're Riley Walsh, you, you get some uh, leeway, I guess, to play your game and, like, really skate. And we've seen mm-hmm. that, like, tons of end-to-end rushes. Like, he's, he's playing the way he wants to. And it's cool that the coaches let him do that. And if you're Okachuk, you get to focus on physicality and like trying to be that shutdown guy that everyone hopes he is. Yeah. But Ball is trying to play that like weird middle ground where he's not overly physical, but he's also not a speedster like Riley Walsh. And so he's, I feel like it's harder to develop as one of those more two way guys as opposed to being at either end of the spectrum. So, yeah, absolutely. Really interesting that he's the first up curious to see how he does against the faster competition because that was also part of the difficulty for him Uh, yeah um yeah i mean just to exactly repeat everything you just said (laughs) i think the areas in which his he's got the most amount of room to grow in his game yeah that's a very nice way to put it on both offensive and defensive elements yeah yeah it's it's cool to see just because i mean it's what the final seven games of the season yeah. at this point. Um, so it, it's cool to see people get their shot, but at the same time, you know, neither team has really found success this season. Like Binghamton has been identical, if not worse than the big club in terms of actually winning games. They've had oh, these really great periods <laughs> or even like stretches, mm-hmm. but they consistently find a way to lose you know, mm-hmm. if, if they go up five to one, for example, they'll lose six to five in overtime. And it's really kind of challenged the way I've thought about what defines a successful season for them, just because, I mean, there's no playoffs in the AHL. Yeah. Uh, what it really is, is an audition. Like, it makes me think of the marketing campaign that the Toronto Marlies had a couple of years ago before they the, the Leafs got good. They had all these posters of their AHL guys, like Nylander when he was there. And the poster always said, every game, a tryout. And they were just like trying to hype up their young guys as much as they could because their big club was awful. I I kind of have that perspective now for Binghamton, where especially in a season where there's no playoffs, I'm more concerned about the actual like tools or behaviors than winning games even though winning games is itself i guess a behavior that you want to try to replicate or or learn mm-hmm. i don't know it's it's all very yeah. confusing for me it is it's basically a, a, a glorified scrimmage mm-hmm. <laughs> all season long um, yeah. which is fine you know fine uh just because like it's a it's a good way to ease these guys into the into pro hockey Graham Clark reminds me more and more of Tyler Toffoli with each passing day. Oh, I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah, he's been so good. And and not just in terms of shooting, 
but his playmaking has really come out too just because he's very quick with his decisions on the puck and he's yeah. just quick in general it's been really cool to see him and holtz on a power play together just because both of them have both of those tools in their in their belt and so i, I feel like as a defenseman your brain basically explodes when you see the two of them on opposite wings just because you somehow have to take away both shots and both passing options and you just can't do it no no and uh it's really nice to see his you know his game coming together just in in general too what have you thought about alexander holtz so far i know it's only Um, been what three games yeah it's been three games he's gotten what is it 13 shots on goal Mm -hmm. and finally scored last night yeah he finally scored last night see it was coming to 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 cover things up to cover all my bases very impressed very impressed so far uh it'll be really interesting to see where he grows from here Mm -hmm. and some game some elements of his game he'll need to work on like you know he's not too great in in the you know transition just general i mean we kind of knew this already the fact that um you know, he's not really one to drive the play. He's not really one to really gain the offensive zone, set up, set up a play and whatnot. He's there to finish the play. We know that. Yeah. So I'm not too worried about the transition play. He, you know, it's just him going to get used to playing in that environment. Uh, we've talked about the adjustment to a smaller ice. I think it might be a little, a little bit overrated, you know, that, you know, that, that, I mean, it's a it's a difference, but I think it's not that big of a difference. Yeah. And he'll need to work on his defensive zone game, but he's doing everything that you know he was drafted to do right now. And he's only got one goal, but he's getting some really dangerous chances. He knows how to position himself to get in the scoring position or get a scoring chance, which is honestly that's the most promising thing about it. Really, it's that he knows where to go on the ice. His shot would I mean, his shot is great. We already know that, but it would pretty much mean nothing if he wasn't able to do that already. Yeah, like, and it's, it's cool to see his confidence too, because oh, even yeah. in his first game, and we have footage, shift by shift footage of his first AHL game. Oh yes, we do on the YouTube channel. If you're curious, but you immediately see him banging his stick on the ice to get the puck, mm. and he just does not care that he's the new guy. He knows what he's been put there for. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just really cool to see him just jump right into that role. And I, I honestly feel like he could have three or four goals just based on the, the chances he's had so far. Uh, and in classic Devils fashion, only has one third or one quarter of the goals he deserves. Uh, yeah. Um, he also would have gotten a point in last night's game, but Binghamton had, what, two goals called back? Yes, also a Classic. <laughs> classic. The thing um, the Devils are, are trying too hard to be like the New Jersey Devils. Like they're <laughs> they're getting goals called back. They're scoring a fraction of the goals they deserve to, and they're also somehow tanking for first overall, which uh, isn't advisable in the AHL. It's a it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two 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 quick things about that shift by shift is really fun to make because on one hand the very first like the very first shift he takes out there. Holtz gets a dynamite scoring chance and just misses the net. Yeah. So, uh, and, and the second one was, it was the uh, Lehigh Valley broadcast, and 
from that moment on, the, the guy was just talking. He's having all court, all kinds of fun with it. But every time Holtz was out there, you'd just be like, oh, my gosh, it's Holtz. He's dangerous. <laughs> Watch him. He's dangerous. <laughs> so singing his praises, yeah. having a really good time, even before he produced anything. Yeah, I, I love that kind of enthusiasm because yeah. I remember being on the Discord channel uh, while that game was happening and just seeing everyone just freaking out every time he touched the puck because, you know, it's it's that feeling of like this is this is the piece that we need to, to mm -hmm. fix some of the problems in the big club and to see him maybe not scoring immediately but demonstrating the reason why he was drafted i thought was just it was cool to be part of that moment yeah absolutely and and more so than any well not not uh not more so than anything else but one thing that i couldn't help but notice maybe because it was on north american ice I'll just say just because, you know, there's a there's that, I guess, mental distance when he's playing in Sweden, mm -hmm. you know, the idea, I guess, like, OK, you know, he's still a little bit of ways away. And, you know, I, I don't know where it's coming from. Why now rather than before? But every time he shot the puck, I leaned forward off my chair. <laughs> I felt like that kid from the uh, the Incredibles on the in the tricycle exactly, on the, exactly in the driveway. Like, I'm just waiting for something amazing. Yeah. And. I, I think you're exactly right in that we knew Holtz was not a play driver, at least in the traditional sense, uh, which is why I think people were surprised, even though the Devils needed a shooter desperately, that we drafted Holtz over someone like Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti, both of whom I would say are play drivers. Uh, yeah. They, they Perfetti's just, having himself a great season, too. Oh, yeah, in the AHL, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that's a bit of a gamble to yeah. to leave those guys on the board when we know that they have what it takes to excel with the puck and drive mm -hmm. play. Uh, and Holtz does that to some extent, but his real strength is just shooting the puck and to a certain extent his playmaking as well. Yeah, we got to see a lot more of those. You got to see a little bit more how good his vision is and mm -hmm. his passing. Of course, that's not what's going to be like like we're saying it's not going to be what gets him to the NHL but but it's interesting like i i remember writing an article ahead of the draft last year about uh, possible devils that could eventually score 40 goals in the yeah. NHL and like they're, they're the the different probabilities of for example Graham Clark and Nolan Foot scoring 40 goals and i also highlighted two prospects from the draft one of which was jack quinn who i loved and the other was alexander holtz and i remember thinking that when you have someone like holtz like obviously the main value there is his shooting and his goal scoring ability but it's interesting that when you have someone that that's that good you actually open up scoring opportunities for his line mates too mm -hmm. so like for example with ovechkin him sitting in his office on the power play means that you have to spend a certain amount of energy taking that option away from them, which opens up time and space for everyone else. So like when I, when I think about Holtz with a guy like Jack Hughes, for example, of course I'm drooling over the thought of like Hughes passing it to Holtz mm -hmm. and just how many times we're going to hear that over the next decade. But I'm also the, excited the, the about... The like, Jack Nicholson smiling. Exactly. And nodding, yeah. Slowly <laughs> nodding. Um, but Holtz taking up time and space so that Jack has more time to shoot, I think mm -hmm. is also really interesting. And I think yeah. we're starting to see that, especially when they've paired Holtz with a guy like Graham Clark on the power play. It's just, it's 
magnetic. It's so it's so exciting to watch. Yeah. Uh, just for broader context, too, the last time there was a Devils player that scored over 50 goals, excuse me, over 40 goals, no Devils scored 50 goals. Uh, the, the, the record is Gianta, Brian Gianta with 48. But the last time a Devils player scored over 40 goals in a season was Parisi in 2008-2009 with 45 goals. Just for you know, a little more context right there. Yeah, and I think Taylor Hall hit 39 goals 39. in his Hart Trophy year. Yeah. What was that, 18, 19? 18. It was the, the year we drafted uh, Smith. Yeah, Ty Smith. So the 17-18 season. So it took a Hart Trophy-level effort to get even close to 40 goals within mm-hmm. the last, what, five to ten years? So, you know, it, it's obviously that is – way into the future that possibility but we're already starting to see uh, some mm-hmm. of that excitement build up and I think to your point about the risk involved with not picking one of those play drivers like a like a Rossi or Perfetti or uh, whatnot uh, really solidifies more than anything I mean Holtz could have been BPA he could have been a genuine BPA on the list we don't know Someone in the Devils organization wants to tell us. <laughs> I won't say no to that. <laughs> um, but also, to me, it signifies more than anything the desire and plan to build around Nico and Jack. You know, it's kind of obvious, but it it looks at the team and says, "Okay, these guys, what do they need?" Is, is this player going to be available by that time? Is he in that tier that should be available, or should we trade back? Mm-hmm. No. Agreed. I, th- I think that's that's definitely a vote of confidence. Uh, at least so, you, you hope that's what it is. So chucking the, uh, you know, unpinning and chucking the grenade here, mm-hmm. what do you think happens next year with one of, do you think, I'll, I'll, I'll start, and then I'll, I, I want to hear okay. what your thoughts. I think Dawson Mercer is closer to stepping into the NHL than Holtz. Mm. But I, I think Holtz will have a higher impact or higher potential impact than Mercer. Interesting. So I, I, both of them are eligible for the AHL next year. Yeah. Holtz, as we know, as, and have chatted or have we discussed – Holtz's entry-level contract officially begins next season, so he can't play in the NHL this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is Graham Clark, who's making very mm-hmm. significant strides, uh, and he's looking really, really good. Do you think one of those guys ends up in the NHL next year, or do you think they all, all maybe all three of them start in, well, not Binghamton, unfortunately, but the AHL affiliate. Yeah, the mystery location AHL team. Yeah, that um, sucks. It that does. sucks. Yeah, that, that yeah. news was, was tough to hear. Um, yeah. And I don't think it says great things about the franchise. And, and we can get into that later. But Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, I, I, think, I think to a certain extent you're right in that Mercer's full toolkit is maybe more NHL ready than Holtz's. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I would have answered this question differently before the success of guys like Sharon Govich. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. what happened with him shows that they really don't 
care where you sit on the you know organizational depth chart mm -hmm. as long as you can play um, because as much as we were trying to build some excitement about Cherangovich after his KHL season I don't think anyone really had him playing alongside Jack Hughes right like that's just, no that's such a big jump like maybe we penciled him in as a possible like bottom six candidate uh, but for him to jump in and be basically a first liner and on yeah. pace for 20 goals over 82 games, th that that's a huge jump. So I, I think off the bat, anyone who shows that they deserve it in camp will get that spot. It could, I think, very well be any one of those three players. I think from a... I think from a stepping stone point of view maybe Holtz would be more likely just because he will have had more pro experience by the time next season rolls around. Like he's mm -hmm. going from pro games in Sweden to pro yeah. games at the HL level to the NHL. Whereas Mercer, even though he's had incredible success this season is making the jump from juniors to pro, mm -hmm. which is, I think a more, I don't know, drastic jump than yeah. maybe the HL to the NHL. I don't and know it, if that's actually true, but that's just the way it feels, I guess. Oh, no, it's a big jump, definitely. And also, I mean, I don't think Mercer's going to get any games in the AHL this year. Because, I mean, there was the possibility. He's he's already signed his entry-level contract. But uh, I'm not sure if the timing is going to work out well. Because Chikurumi is in the playoffs. Yeah, They just swept their first round. I mean, Mercer is scoring. <laughs> right now, in three games, he's got seven points. Um, <laughs> But the thing we know about Mercer is that the game is his game is not just about points. The points are just yeah. there, which is all the more promising. So, what? Yeah, what I mean is that it would have been nice to have seen them, but you know, I'm I'm more okay with a deep, potentially deep playoff run. And, yeah, and if them. if he wins the President's Trophy, which is like what the trophy's called in the QM, QMJHL, he will be in that kind of Ty Space Smith or it's Ty Smith Space <laughs> rather <laughs> of having basically accomplished everything you would want to in junior where like mm -hmm. you've you've been a play driver uh you've been the stir that's the straw that stirs the drink and you've won the highest possible honor you could you know it's too bad the memorial cup was canceled this season yeah because uh, i think they would honestly be a candidate yeah but like yeah he'll he'll have reached that spot where there's not much else for him to do No, I agree. I mean, Memorial Cup, unfortunately, I think that was the right call just because the OHL hasn't played any games whatsoever. My cat's coming to say hello. Perfect. I got, yeah, I got one outside the door that's uh, wanting to enter, but this is, this is my safe cave. No, uh, no allergies here today. Hobbs doesn't understand the concept of a safe space from him. Um, what about Graham Clark? Because, like you said, he was not supposed to be here this season, um, and he's he's taken his opportunity and really run with it. Do you feel like he has a legitimate chance to to crack the roster next season? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and I'm not just looking at the points. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I mean, the points are are what he brings. I mean, that's that's what he does. He's a he's a scoring winger. 
but I look at how much his, for example, his skating has improved, uh, how much he sees the, how, how well he sees the ice and how well he's adjusting to the speed of the pro game. Maybe it might be a little bit too much to go from, you know, OHL to AHL and then AHL and to NHL in the matter of what, less than two years. Yeah. But, but he's shown that he, you know, at, at least at this level, he can be a comp- competent play driver. Yeah. Or sorry, not play driver, but you know what I mean. He's he's competent at keeping up with the pace of play, and producing as well. On top of all that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say something perhaps controversial. Let's do it. Um, but I I hope that no more than one of them makes it next season. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just I, for the sake you. of context, like I, I want the Devils to have acquired, drafted, whatever, enough kind of competent NHL players where there are not as many spots on the roster to be taken by mm-hmm. some of the young guys and, and not, not to keep people down artificially, but just for the sake of depth, right? Like yeah. look at what happened to Binghamton this season, because, you know, basically half of the top six from last season is in the NHL this year. You, you have like guys like Sharon Govich, McLeod, Bastion, Kwokinen, those guys are all just gone and it's caused quite a kerfuffle yeah, <laughs> if, if I especially can. at center yeah and the, the, all those guys have earned their spots no, no doubt but i think if the depth of the forward group reaches a point where you can't have holtz and clark or holtz and mercer that's actually a, a good sign right like you want them mm-hmm. to be knocking on the door and to to be kind of right there uh, but if if the forward group is so thin that you can lump in two or three rookies and just throw them in without question on top of the rookies that have already kind of earned their spot this season, I don't know. I, I don't think that would indicate that we've had a successful offseason. That's fair. I think, yeah, from the point of trying to construct a, I guess, a competitive roster, I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. <laughs> The, the words are very funny considering how the the team has played post deadline but you know it's kind of it's been it's been awful but it's also been kind of what we expected to 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 a certain extent you know but I, we'll talk about that too but from the point of a, a team makeup the idea of having multiple spots open is not promising yeah and at least moving I have no forward. idea who would fill those spots right because mm-hmm. Um, I don't see the Devils trading their 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 own pick, their own first rounder, just because it's no. going to be probably top five, top six. Yeah. Uh, and you just don't really do that unless you're getting like a, I don't know, like a Matthew Kachuk back yeah. or something, or a, or like a Sergachev or yeah. or a Chikrin. Um, so I I I don't know if, for example, the Isles first round pick is enough to get you a piece that that really solves that problem. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, free agency, I think, can be tough for smaller market teams, even though we have the cap space to to basically back up the truck for anyone that that they're targeting. Yeah. So I'm not really sure who who fills those spots. But, yeah, I definitely see one of them making it. It's just a matter I, of, you know, maybe it's Holtz that gets his spot out of camp. And then Clark and Mercer are some of those call-ups that you see throughout the season. 
Yeah, and and I'll throw this out there too. I kind of want to take it very slow with foot as well, mm-hmm. just because. Yes, he's he's gotten for he's you know he's gotten two points in the two games that he's played, but I think the big thing is we we already know he's got skill. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's shown his skill. I think the big thing that will determine how high his ceiling is and how high he can go is how fast he's able. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, cats can you describe cute. what you see in the background here? So I'm chatting with Duncan right now, and I see a cat in the background climbing up on on a couch and reaching up and trying to knock down a wall decoration. And now he's jumped up on the bookshelf yeah, or the shelf. Give me a death stare. I'm gonna kick him out. Give me one sec. Yeah, sure. Ooh, my cat is a psychopath. Anyways, go on. You were talking about it. taking it slow with foot, which I think may be um, ironic phrasing. Yes. <laughs> um, no, it's just because the only thing holding, the, not holding him back, geez, the only thing that I have questions on is that, that will determine how high his ceiling is, is how quickly he's able to process the play. And he looked like he was a little behind the play during you know a good portion of his game again two games here but at the nhl level but that's something to work on uh and i think this is going to be a big off season for him honestly it's going to be a big off season for all three of the the players that we just mentioned because mm-hmm. heck look at the transformation that sharon govich had yeah. over the past you know year and heck even clark like he wasn't like we said we, he wasn't supposed to be in the ahl this year yeah, and he's coming off a season where he played what, like, twelve eighteen games, games? 18? twelve, yeah, so, something like that. And he missed most of the most of the season uh, with that shoulder injury. So yeah, it it can definitely happen. Um, yeah, it's it's just tough to picture a an off season where not enough is done to the point where all three of those guys could make it. I guess without kicking mm-hmm. out a guy like mm-hmm. Govich or Kokonen, which I don't frankly see happening at this point. Uh, maybe they're pushed further down the lineup, which is totally fine. Yeah. But it's hard to picture, you know, adding all three of those guys just because there has to be something else, right? Yeah. One thing I'd really, one player I'd really like the Devils to try and reach out to, uh, try and court a little bit during the uh, free agency is uh, left winger for the Blues, Jaden Schwartz. Mm. I think I think that'd be a good fit. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few interesting possibilities, and I I know everyone on Reddit and Twitter is talking about Dougie Hamilton mm-hmm. as the, kind of the big fish on defense. Yeah. You know, I I think that would cost you quite a bit of money. I think you're talking about like what like at least eight and a half nine million probably, dollars yeah, per season. Probably nine, probably yeah. Probably for max term to seven years, which mm-hmm. is a big commitment to make. Uh, but at the same time. It's, it's, it's a maybe a worry of mine. What defensive prospects are coming? Mm-hmm. Because you look at the defense now, and it's not great. Ty Smith is very promising. Uh, Damon Severson, I think, has been has been good. But when you look at like the quality of player that we need, I'm not super confident that there are too many of those guys in the pipeline. You know. No, and you know how you get them. Nine times out of ten, unless they decide that they only want to play for your team hmm. i i wonder uh, who you're no, referring to. yeah um you draft them yeah 
And chances are you're going to have to draft him very high. Yeah. Which is and, a really good segue <laughs> into this, you know, this year's season's draft. But yeah. I will say, like, we've talked about the big four, maybe five defensemen in this draft and Owen Power, Luke Hughes, Brent Clark, and Simon Edvinson, as well as Carson Lampos. Mm-hmm. How many of those guys do you think could see the NHL next season? I uh, Hopefully none of them. Yeah. Genuinely, hopefully none of them. Of them, I think maybe maybe a team will draft power first overall and rush him. I just want to see him back at Michigan for one more year. All of those guys need at least one more year. So in terms of improving for next season, in, yeah. in terms of defense, you're looking at either big jumps for guys like Okachuk, Walsh, Kevin Ball. Uh, Mukmadulin is a couple years out. I think mm-hmm. he's the kind of guy you draft and he develops on the shelf for a couple seasons before yeah. you even think about bringing him over. No one is really coming other than that next season, yeah. which means you have to make some sort of move. I don't know if it has to be the level of a Dougie Hamilton because that's about as drastic as you can get. But yeah, there's not there's not an instant fix for that. Yeah. I think Vukovic will surprise a little bit too, but mm-hmm. same thing like All right, I'm going to ask a question here. Not even taking into account the Siegenthaler trade mm-hmm. because it's still way too early. Siegenthaler barely played this season and then basically got asked to uh, try and run onto a jumping train or jump onto a, a full speed train, which is careening off the cliff that is the Devils' defensive zone play. Is there cause for concern with pro scouting with the team? Interesting. In terms of the trade ter- targets have yeah, not tra- worked out overwhelmingly. Yeah. For one whatever whatever reason or another. I mean, we've talked about Andreas Johnson. He has pretty good what underlying numbers, right? Which mm-hmm. suggests a potential bounce back or bounce in production next year. But I generally speaking, I give I try to give each guy that we trade for a year to get settled in. Mm-hmm. You know, it worked with Hall, it worked with Subban because Subban you know, he's looking a lot better this year, no doubt. Yeah. But I don't know. There have been a lot of whiffs. And, of course, not every GM is going to have you know, dynamite moves every single time. Mm-hmm. But there have been a lot of whiffs. And I think, I think that's one of the main reasons why Cheryl was, was let go because a lot of those draft – a lot of that high draft capital was, was traded for, for players, you know, second and third round picks that – you know, it didn't really work out all that well. Yeah, it's it's tough because you can see the potential there. Like like with mm. Andreas Johnson, like you said, yeah. Nikita Gusev, uh, you know, had a rough start and then really caught fire at the end of last yeah. season. And then th- this season was not remotely a fit for the system that the Devils developed, although he's had some success in Florida since signing there. M- Mueller, for example, uh but I keep on thinking about guys like Palmieri, and and maybe that's the exception as opposed to the rule. I don't know how often those moves pay off in general. You know, I, I, I'd be curious to know yeah. that kind of classic underutilized uh, player with potential that's, you know, a little older. He's like in his early to mid-20s that obviously worked with Palmieri. Uh, he had a very successful few years here and then netted us some good draft assets. 
but other than that, I'm not sure how impressive it's been. You're, I think you're totally right. I hadn't really considered that angle. Yeah, and I'm, you know, like speaking of like a Palmieri-esque situation, there is a player that I think could be made available uh, for the expansion draft. Because I, I bring this up because we don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with the expansion draft. Uh, we don't know what player Seattle's going to take from the Devils, who, who they're going to need to protect, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, you know, the Devils are in a bit of a position right now where they will be able to take advantage of teams that are, you know, trying to get some kind of uh, scalvage, excuse me, salvage some kind of value for players instead of losing them for free. And one player that strikes me is... Uh, Colorado forward Andre Burakovsky. Hmm. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but he's basically very much reminding me of, of a Palmieri situation. Like a, of course he's not going to get much, you know. Of course he's going to get limited ice time on a behemoth of a roster like that. But I, I don't know. I'm that would be a name that I'm looking at, and I'm scrambling here. I'm going all around in circles, but I'm. I mentioned pro scouting because I feel like more so than recently, it's going to be important this this off season. Yeah, because like that, especially on defense, um, mm-hmm. that problem we described of having very obvious yeah. needs for talent, but less obvious avenues for acquiring it. Right, because the guys we have in the system are good, but not quite at that level, and perhaps not even ready at all. Uh, and even if you get one of the big four defensemen in this year's draft, they're not coming for at least a season. Yeah. Yeah, you you have to make those kind of moves. But yeah, I guess for every Palmieri trade, there's you know a, a couple Mueller's <laughs> on mm-hmm. the board, and it's tough when you know we're we're still in the phase of the organization's life cycle where we're we're selling off current value for future value and so when you end up spending some of that draft capital for a player and it doesn't work out that just extends the timeline right that's that's Mm -hmm. that's not it's not even like it's just a wash that that adds time to the clock yeah that's yeah and from what i've from what i can tell from for example facebook comments from devils fans uh, oh no we're running out of time (laughs) on that clock you know, people are frustrated. Uh, people are paranoid that Jack Hughes is going to want to leave because the team hasn't won since he's been here, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, you know, y- you don't want to be making moves because you have to. Mm-hmm. That's that's one way you get just absolutely crushed by a guy like Steve Eisenman, for example. <laughs> you know, people who <laughs> smell blood in the water and will absolutely rip you off while mm-hmm. shaking your hand and smiling. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, when there's a need and you don't address it for consecutive off seasons, that's that's really tough, and that sends an interesting message not only to the fans but to the players. And I keep on thinking about last off season. So at the draft, we had three first round picks. We had basically as much cap space then as we do now. That was the recipe for making deals and improving the team, and it wasn't really possible because the uncertainty surrounding COVID and the flat cap meant that teams weren't really willing to make those deals. And I wonder how different it will be this season. 
Because mm-hmm. to be honest, I was disappointed that we didn't end up trading one of those first rounders for, you know, a 22 year old defenseman or uh, packaging like a few Eric things. Chernak. Yeah, or like moving up in the draft to get mm-hmm. uh, a Seth Jarvis. Uh, you know, those moves where you can kind of hopefully accelerate the timeline a little bit. Even though we know they were trying, it just wasn't possible. Yeah. And we have less draft capital this time around than we did to begin with, uh, but perhaps more cap space. And the expansion draft, I guess, adds more pressure to the teams that need to make moves. But it's not, you know, it, I don't know if it's a guarantee that something like that can happen. I hope it does, because that seems like the obvious avenue. But then what you bring up about pro scouting, maybe, <laughs> maybe clouds that. The clouds that. <laughs> hey, because right now, I mean, there's 10 teams right now that have $0 in protected cap space. Yeah. Which is and, crazy. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Vegas has $34,000 in projected cap space. <laughs> Which is a lot of money for you and I. Oh, uh, yeah. But for an NHL team, that gets you, what, like six hours of a player's time on your roster? Something like that? Yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't really work for them. So I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens because I, I, can't, I can't imagine this is an offseason where there isn't some sort of move made. And not necessarily, like I said, a Dougie Hamilton type thing where you're you're dumping $10 million into one player. But I don't know. I, I just can't imagine they won't, they won't do anything. Yeah, I mean, we, we did think that last year too, like you said. What's your gut feeling on that Isles first rounder? Do you think the team picks, uses it to draft a player or uses it to trade? Just gut feeling. I think they will try to trade it. Okay. Even though I have some names of players I would love to take with that pick. Oh, um, yeah. Especially because the second rounder we have is also from the Isles, right? Yeah. So it's not like we have an early second mm-hmm. to, to be drafting in that classic first rounder that fell to the early second thing. But I, I feel like that's that's the most obvious thing to move. Because other than, like, I don't know, Miles Wood or one of those prospects that we talked about earlier... I'm not sure what else there is of value that the team could give up. You know, it's just that there's very little fat left on this team. Yeah. Which is why we have so many points from rookies. It's just because half the team is rookies, which mm-hmm. is both very exciting and not necessarily a great sign. So I don't know. I, I feel like if you don't trade that piece, I'm not sure you can get anything back of a certain quality that would actually impact next season. Yeah, immediate impact. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, Duncan's cat is back and back on the shelf. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Love draft, it. do you feel any differently about the draft now that we have been... Oh my gosh, he's going to take the clock off the wall. One sec. <laughs> I'm very tempted to do a very David Attenborough-style narration of what's going on. But he's back. Oh, man. My cat is Godzilla... And my bookshelf is Tokyo. That's kind of the situation these days. Um, Yeah. So we have been spending a ton of time diving into the 2021 drafts. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to check out our YouTube channel just because I think we have, what, over 70 shift-by-shift videos of 2021 draft prospects. It's got to be close to 70 at this point. 82. Not all of them are public right now, but... Yeah, because 82 is scheduled, scheduled at least. 
82. So that's be 83, by the way. A couple minutes left on that one. <laughs> on the upload. <laughs> yeah. That's most of the first two rounds, I would think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyone who's likely to be taken in the first two rounds, you can at least get one game's worth of, of footage from. After having done that, is your opinion on the quality or, uh, you know, the devil's philosophy, like what it should be, changed? I'm more set on using that Islanders pick to draft a player. And I know that means that chances are there like we've mentioned before there's not going to be much that that not going to be much in terms of assets that can be used to make the team better maybe some cap space like like the johnson move i mean the andreas johnson move was by all intents and purposes a good deal it just hasn't come through yet we don't know if it ever will it's too early to say um but something like that, trading one of the excess prospects that we don't really know has a future in the system as much as we may like. I mean, I really liked Joey Anderson. I, I don't know who that would be at this point, but for a team that is trying to shed some cap space. So about the draft itself, it is very promising from what we've seen that there's, you know, the two biggest areas that the Devils prospect pipeline or organization need and that would be a high-end right defenseman, a right-shot defenseman, and a high-end uh, left-winger. Maybe some center depth or whatnot, or maybe some goalie depth. We'll see what you know, guys like Nico Dawes have. And Akira Schmid is playing really well in the USHL. There's interesting stuff there. And goalies are a bit of a crapshoot, so I don't know. Maybe if Sebastian Costa is still on the board by the Islanders' first pick, I would consider taking him. But from what we've seen so far is that there is a very, very strong group of, honestly, potential top six left-wingers in in this draft class. I mean, all the way from, you know, we're, we're, looking, at, we're looking at Bob McKenzie's list, for example. We've got, you know, in the 30s to 45 for 50, you know, we've got what we've got Kizikov, William Stromgren, Roulette, Ayrton Martino, and that's just in that little snippet of the of the rankings. So there's a lot of names there. There's a lot of players that also play on the left side, even though they're listed as right wingers. You know, you can have somebody like Oscar Olison or Zachary Larue. Simone Robertson. I mean, there's and Pastor Job as well. I mean, I'm just gonna name a, a whole bunch of them. But <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, there is going to be a player that fits a need, yeah, for the Devils at that pick, and is, in all likelihood, uh, the best player available, with the amount of talented wingers, especially left wingers, in the draft. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of. I think talented, sometimes undersized scoring mm -hmm. wingers that I think would be really interesting experiments. Again, though, anyone who's expecting a quick fix, I think you know you're not really going to find that. Uh, it, that's because there's no, you know, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, like that level talent in this draft. At least we don't think so. I mean, it's been a weird year. A guy like Dylan Genther, for example. He's yeah. only played 12 games. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he scored 24 points in those 12 games, but that's not enough time to really evaluate to what extent he's grown over the past season. So, I mean, that's 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 been the interesting thing about this draft 
and why I'm excited that the you know the Devils do have two firsts if they choose to use both of them. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you know less about some of these prospects. It makes it a little more chaotic. Yeah, like the MHL kids played a full season. Uh, Swedish juniors were canceled partway through and anyone who could have made the second tier league or the SHL did. Uh, but beyond that, like the QMJHL was a very kind of stop and start season that WHL, uh, you know, the top kids are going to get maybe 20 games and the OHL didn't play at all. And, you know, a couple kids got to play overseas, like a Brant Clark, he went to Slovakia, but, you know, other than that, you you don't really know anything about some of these guys. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a guy like Benjamin Goudreau, who's probably the third highest ranked goalie, uh, did not play this season. And that's a huge gamble to take. But that's the sort of thing that could really pay off if you, if you trust your scouts and if you think you know uh, to what extent a player's grown over the past season. I don't know. It, it's, it's exciting and terrifying. Uh, and a really interesting year to have a really high pick just because, you know, it's it's one thing for, in a normal year, the fifth or sixth player drafted to end up being the top person in the draft. I feel like it's just off the top of my head, like two or three times more likely this season for that to be the case than any other year. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I, I kind of... I don't want to go on for too long just because I know we got to get moving soon. But I kind of, if anything, I kind of want to end on two notes here. The first is kind of a hot take, potential hot take. It's one of those like, oh, we could, we couldn't. Like, Dylan Gunther has been so impressive. I know I, we want a D-man. And we want a defenseman <laughs> with that pick. But it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he was actually at the best player on there, on the, the, the management list, you know, the, the scouting list. He's been so impressive, and he's a right winger, but he's also played at left wing. He's mostly played right wing this season, but he's a guy that I could see step right into the NHL next year. Mm-hmm. Um, not like that matters because you know what we're talking is building long term as much as it sucks right now. And the other one is, I look at a team. Of course, I mean everybody's going to want to model themselves after. The, the best teams. Um, but I look at a team like the Colorado Avalanche and the rebuilding process that they went through. Oh gosh, how am I going to word this? I had it and I lost it. And then Eiserman picked it up. Um, <laughs> cool. I mean, what, what the Avalanche have done is just consistently taken best player available regardless mm-hmm. of position. And if you do that consistently enough in three or four seasons, you're going to have an embarrassment of riches as long as you've drafted uh, or drafted well. It's why, like, seeing a team that has people like Samuel Girard and, um, you know, Kale McCarr, all of a sudden you also have Bowen Byram and Connor Timmons knocking at the door. I wonder if, yeah, like having some good forward prospects and then also adding a guy like Dylan Gunther just because he is best player available even if it's it frustrates the organizational need to draft an elite defenseman high I don't know is that is that where you're going yeah I think also um I'm looking also at their their broader thing so 
I, I look, I think back to, I mean, they drafted what? They drafted Duchesne third overall in what, 2009? And it, it sounds about right. And then Landeskog second overall. Yeah, let me pull up the draft thing. Yeah. So, I mean, they've been picking, acquiring very high picks for almost 10 years. Yeah. Because Duchesne third overall. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, Landeskog second overall in 2011. Then McKinnon first overall. Uh, Ronson was just a really good pick. But 10th overall, Tyson Jost, 10th overall. And then, um, you know, McCarr at 4th overall. So that was that year that they were the historically bad. You know, the, yeah. And I say that because it's a combination. Because remember, people earlier on didn't really think Sack was a good GM because they were struggling so much. It was the worst performance by a non-expansion team in recent nhl history modern the modern nhl history and they really didn't do anything that off season and then well what was it it was also that they had missed the playoffs for almost a decade Mm -hmm. with one appearance and a first round loss all while acquiring you know like you said best player available so of course i mean there's a very different the duchene trade it's just Oh, it's a work of art. <laughs> it's a work of art for Sackick because they were able to get what they were able to get Byram out of that, right? And then Samuel Girard, so two staples, long-term staples for their defense. But basically, what we're what I'm trying to say is that the Avalanche were drafting top ten for about a decade, and we're just starting to see them really emerge as an elite team. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to go back to the stale talking point of like, oh, you, know, you know, like these things take time and whatnot. Like, we have the talent. Hughes is has all the. <laughs> I, I'm just gonna come out and say Hughes has all the signs of being a McKinnon level talent. Ooh, I like that. I know. I, I know that's a little like you know pulling on the, <laughs> uh, pulling on the shoulder uh, the the shirt car like. Mm-hmm. No, like he's. Watch him. He's 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 quite good, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> I have uh, noticed. Um, it's a good point. Like it's it's taken kind of continual high draft picks for for them to reach this stage, and of course a few uh, trades that you could describe as fleecings. Because um, also remember they lost. I mean, Will Butcher was a pretty significant prospect mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And they also lost their backup goalie to Vegas and Calvin Pickard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hasn't been all good for them. But I, I think hitting on those picks has really mattered, which is why I think maybe Devils fans would be encouraged but also slightly discouraged by, by this comparison because you're seeing a guy like Pavel Zaka instead of a Miko Rantanen, for example. Like that That difference, I think like we were talking about earlier, either accelerates or decelerates the process. But I have a lot of faith in, in what the, the organization's been doing recently. I I really liked last year's draft, even if I had questions about McVadulin. Uh I'm really excited to see what happens this year, but I can't help but feel like the momentum the team has now, even though the on-ice success hasn't been there, I mean, this I might just be naive, but I I have to think it's it's almost undeniable the the fact that we're in a much better position this season than we were two years ago. 
and the fact that some of those investments of like really high draft picks are just starting to pay off, I think is really cool. Yeah, especially on that note, like is it, the question is and should be asked. Okay, Ian and Duncan, you guys have been chatting to us for you know we've been doing this for a couple of years now, right? Mm-hmm. Time flies, and we've been talking. Okay, you know the promise. You know the, the talent is coming. The promise. You know it's, the future is bright. You know we have this, this, all these kids. And so what makes this season any different? Because it's, once again, Devils are going to be in a top ten pick. It's looking really rough. Mm-hmm. The the difference for me this year is that not only have we seen it, the massive uptick in production by you know u20 forwards or u23 forwards which like you mentioned before is also particularly out of necessity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but also we see players take that jump the fact that that quokinen which big props to pro scouting on that or amateur scouting not pro scouting because it was he's uh he was in the ahl so that's pro scouting big props to them for that so Ignoring that, because that was a trade acquisition, players like Sharon Govich, Maltev, McLeod, and Bastion, among others, making them making themselves pretty making a significant case to be an NHL regular mm-hmm. this season. And of course, Smith, Ty Smith. Uh, yes, we knew Jack Hughes was going to get better. Didn't expect him to be this good at this early, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at least in terms of everything else besides the production and the production will get there, especially if player like Holtz is on his wing, but referring specifically to those players I just mentioned, Sharon Govich, Maltev, McLeod, Bastion, and yeah, I'll throw in Smith as well, just because it shows to me that we're beginning to clean off the stench that was devil's drafting and player development from the period of like 2008 to 2014. Amen. Yeah. And it's going to take a while. So, I mean, I don't really, I don't really particularly care if these players don't have high ceilings. Obviously we would like them to, but more so than anything, we just need to get NHL caliber talent into, into the system. Agreed. I think that's a, that's a great point to end on. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. Like you said, uh, it's, I feel like we've said this every year, but it, it is a pivotal moment mm-hmm. <laughs> in the development of this team or this core. And, you know, even though the win column is looking a little sparse this season, I can't help but feel, like you said, because of the development of the rookies, it's it feels different this time, which is I know exactly yeah. what, you know, an addict would say, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's different this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think some of the proof yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we we say that's it. That's it. There's a reason why we've been saying it every year. Like, oh, this is such a pivotal off season because rebuilds they don't. You have to be lucky, but you also have to have a a concerted vision, a specific vision for your franchise. You can stumble your way into success or whatnot, but very rarely does that lead to a cup win. Mm-hmm.